So I was thinking today um, about how I would um, ask this question, what, what is good? And so I thought if I were to ask you what's good and define good, many of us would then give like examples of good things, right? We go to stuff already. So maybe you're like me and you're like, like a really like warm, gooey cinnamon roll or a good pizza or a, like a filet cooked medium um, or you know, whatever it is. And so you're like me, you're like, stomach's now growling, so sorry about that. But, but you think about what's good. Or maybe you go, what's like the good life? And so we ask the question, what's the good life? And so you go, well, you know, it's like to have... Um, a house and two cars and a white picket fence and 1.7 kids and enough zeros in my bank account that I can retire, right? Like, that's often what we think about when I ask the question, what's the good life? But what if um, you might add to that and go, well, you know, to be respected and to be loved and to have family. And, um, but, but what if, what if we went back to the question, what's good? And what if I were to ask you this question, um, very few of us probably in this room, if I were to say, hey, what's good? Very few of us would say, me. I'm good. I mean, the narcissists among us would for sure say it, but the rest of us are not so sure that we want to be good, right? I'm not sure I am good. If I say, I'm pretty good, like, that doesn't feel like so bad to say I'm pretty good. Like, that seems pretty reasonable. Um, and maybe, like, if you're someone who's read much of the Bible, you know, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, no one's good but God. She's like, well, see, I can't even be good. But maybe that's really not Jesus' point in Mark 10, because it really wasn't. His point was that, you know, apart from God, none of us is really that good. But what if at some level we're called to be good? I've been thinking about that this week in lots of ways and lots of, for lots of reasons. But, but one of the things that I, I had a conversation this week with a guy, and I ended up helping him do a couple of little things, and um, he goes, oh, you're just a, he didn't know who I was, and I was just a random person. He goes, oh, you're just a good Christian man. And I kind of like, mm, I cringed when he said it. I really did. I mean, I, I, I said, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> and he goes, why? I, he goes, well, I'm going to say you are. And I'm, okay, thanks. Um, I'm going to leave you now. And ironically, I really hadn't done anything with this message for the week at that point. Uh, it was early in the week. And um, then I felt kind of convicted <laughs> as the week went along. Because I thought, no, I should probably want to be a good Christian man, right? Like, that's not a bad descriptor. And so we've been kind of looking at since Easter, since the resurrection that we celebrated, we've been talking about what does it look like if you live as a person of new life? If the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is true, what does that mean for our lives and how then are we called to live? And we've been looking at a lot of what John has had to say about it. John, one of the guys who was a follower of Jesus, who spent time with Jesus, he recorded this stuff, this conversation. And so these are the words of Jesus as written down by John. And here's what John writes. Says Jesus shared these words. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. There's a lot of really good stuff in here, but one thing I'll say is this. Um, what do we hear? Right? What are we listening to? Um, I've, I've talked from this text before, but like, the question is, what, what am I listening to? What do I hear? What are the things that shape me? And so I was thinking, I, I've told you before, but I... I've coached a lot of basketball in my life, and so one of the things that happens in a gym with lots of parents, I mean, not so much this year, it was a little weird, but like with lots of parents in a gym, you can yell, and your voice has to be louder than everyone else in the room. Like, I, I don't yell by, by choice, I don't yell often, it's not, but when you're coaching in a gym with loud people and loud players, if you don't yell louder, they won't hear your voice. And then the worst part is sometimes it's so loud that even when you yell loud, they still can't hear your voice. Now, hopefully you've coached them enough. They know your voice and they hear it in the midst of all the other competing voices in the room. But even then, sometimes they miss it. They're like, I, I didn't hear you. You'll call a timeout and players will come in and they'll go, I, I didn't, coach, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Like, I, I thought you wanted us to do this instead of that. I, I just didn't hear. And so um, this year, Coaching with a mask. I don't know if they ever heard me. I yelled really loud. And it was muffled. Right? They're trying to hear me. And who knew that we all were visual hearers? Right? If I can't see mouth moving, I'm like, oh, were that, was that person speaking or was that person speaking? Right? I, my kids went to a play on Friday night and they said it was really hard to hear because... They're all wearing masks in the play. And it's like, I don't know who said what. I eventually figured it out, but it took a long time. And so I use this analogy today because I think, especially in this last year, I can't speak about every year that you've been alive, but I think especially in this last year, it's been really hard to listen to the right voices. And we've heard a lot of wrong voices. And so I guess I would say it this way. Um, I think we have listened to news talk, television and radio, or social media, or political ads, or politicians, much more than we've probably listened to Jesus, for most of us. And even if Jesus has been speaking, we haven't heard his voice, we've we found ourselves struggling with that, and, and we don't realize that we're moving into silos and listening to the same voices again and again. We don't even know we're being shaped by those voices. We think we're not. We think we're, we're above that and we're smarter than that. None of us are, by the way. It is humanly impossible not to be shaped by what you continually hear. All kinds of studies and science that would prove that's true. In fact, if you're someone who engages in social media, maybe you saw the, the documentary called The Social Dilemma, right? There, there's the reality is we are formed into silo thinking and listening, and we've gotten really good at yelling and not really good at hearing. Or sharing my opinion is right, and here's why. I mean, I, I don't know anything about that particular subject, but I have an opinion about it. We've probably all been guilty of that at some level. We don't recognize that our political view or our social media influence, or our whatever, is more shaped by silo than it is by listening. We're not hearing the correct voices. And so I ask this singular question of us today. Are we hearing the voice of Jesus above all other voices? See, I, I think I'll use the analogy of mask again. 
It's as if in this last year, noise has been amplified and our masks have become different kinds of filters. And so we're not sure if our filter is social media or news or politics or whatever. We're not sure what voice we're listening to the most. And if today you're a follower of Jesus, the question is like, what voice are you hearing above all the others? Are you, are you leaning into that voice above all the others? Or are you allowing all the other outside voices to be the main shaper of your life? I, I mean, I use the example. I, I said this, I've never lamented being a pastor more than I have this last year. And here's what I mean. Like my goal as, as pastor, as someone who leads in this place, is to help us think theologically to help us think about who God is and understand how we live out from being followers of Jesus in the world in which we live. Like, that's my primary role. And how do we walk alongside coming to do that? And what I found this year is it's really hard to be shaped by Jesus when most of us, the most of the time we spend with Jesus are, are being shaped theologically is 30 minutes on Sunday, or maybe include music, another hour total, and maybe another 30 minutes throughout the week when we watch television for four hours a day. Or shape when our television is on a news talk station. I don't care what you watch. If you're to Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or HGTV, I don't really care. But when we're more shaped by these things than by who Jesus invites us to be, we cannot be shocked that we don't look or sound or act like him. And so if Jesus is who he says he is, and what he says is probably pretty important, then we're left with some things that we wrestle with. In fact, he says these things. He says there's some people who aren't of his flock, but they will be, right? See, there's this thing that happened in Jesus' day, and and nation um, of Israel knew they were God's unique people. They were called to be His unique people in the world. They were called to be a light to the world. In fact, Abraham's call was that you will be blessed, so that you can be a blessing to the whole world. But like many of us, over time, they're like, yeah, we know we're supposed to be a blessing to the world, but we just want to be blessed. We just want to be great and awesome, right? Like, we all want to be a VIP. Have you noticed that? Everyone's special. I don't know how to tell us all this, myself included, but if everyone's special, then none of us is special. It's kind of what special means, right? Like, you can sign up for every VIP list you want. Have you noticed this? Every store has a VIP list, fan club, whatever you want to call it. Like, you're going to be on their most exclusive club. Wait, but anyone can do it? Yes, it's not most exclusive anymore, right? I get all the email ads for everything in the world. I don't think I sign up for them, but they just show up in your email inbox. Have you noticed this? Here you can get 30% off because you are a VIP. You also sent this to 10 million people. Are they all VIPs? Or maybe we're all really are ordinary. And maybe that's really okay. Maybe we're not extraordinary. Maybe we're just average. Maybe average isn't bad. If everyone gets an A, then an A is not that good. I know that's hard for some of us to hear, probably me as well. But this is what we begin to see, and so this is what Jesus is kind of addressing. He says this, that we are to live as unique people, and so there are people who don't seem like they're my flock that are a part of my flock. In fact, I love these words of William Barclay. You can see them on the screen. He says this, one of the hardest things in the world is to unlearn exclusiveness. Once a people or a section of people gets the idea that they are specially privileged it is very difficult for them to accept that the privileges which they believed belong to them and only them are in fact open to all people. That's what the Jews never learned. 
They believed that they were God's chosen people and that God had no use for any other nation. They believed that, at the best, other nations were designed to be their slaves, and at the worst, they were destined for elimination from the scheme of things. But here, Jesus is saying that there will come a day when all men will know him as their shepherd. Does that mean they're not important? No, it means they are, but equally as important as every other person. And so sometimes we're shaped and we're hearing the wrong voices. We're hearing voices that shape us into ways and people that we don't necessarily want to be. Things that we would probably not categorize as good. Um, And so sometimes we think we're going to change the world by ways and means of the world. But what we see in the life of Jesus is that's not how God works. If Jesus had come like every other conquering king, he would have had an army, he would have overthrown Rome, he wouldn't have died on a cross. Like, that's insane. But maybe the way God calls his unique people to work in the world, that's why Israel, for the longest time, they weren't supposed to have a king. He said, I'm your king. You don't need a king. Well, we kind of we want one. Everybody else has one. We want one too. In other words, the way my people will work in the world doesn't make sense logically. But if you'll trust me, you'll see me do things that you never thought possible. And so our hope for the world is not found in our social media feeds, our television shows, or our news talk radio, or our politics. In fact, um, I love these words also by William Barclay. He says this, It is only in Jesus Christ that the world can become one. The only possible unity for people is their common identity with God. In the world where there is division between nation and nation, in the nation there is division between class and class, I could have written party and party, there can never be one nation and there can never be one class. The only thing that can cross the barriers and wipe out the distinction is the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling people of their universal fatherhood of God. So this brings us back to Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. What's that mean? Who, who is that? And so I was thinking, um, maybe it's helpful. There's a video I saw this week, and it was really fitting timing. Like, so what does a good shepherd do? They always go after their sheep. And so there's a, a video we're going to show you right now of, of a shepherd going after sheep. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like that sometimes when it comes to my relationship with God. Like, Jesus, like, all right, I'm the good shepherd. Like, good shepherds always take care of the sheep. They keep going after the sheep, and, like, he like freezes from something, we're like jumping right back in the same hole we were in before. New spot, same hole. And she's like, ah, oh, I'll pull you out again. Like that's a good shepherd. The good shepherd goes after us continually, keeps seeking after us, recognizing that our life is a mess, but he invites us into a new way of life, a new way of thinking, a new way of living. And so Jesus begins to live in such a way that he wants us to know that even if we've been a dumb sheep and we keep jumping in the same spots, he keeps coming after us. He does hope someday we won't keep him jumping back in the same spots. 
But as the good shepherd, Jesus saw his life as an act of obedience to God. Do you and I see our lives as an act of obedience to God? So I come back to this word, good. Um, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm good. Now, a little side note. The first time in the Bible it says something is not good is when people are alone. Go back and read the Genesis story. The first time something is not good is like trying to do life by yourself. That's the first time it's good. And so I know for some of us during this last year, this pandemic, some of you are online still, still trying to do life by uh, by yourself. You need people, even if it's digitally. I don't care. You need people. You cannot do this alone. But there's a particular word that John uses here. It's a Greek word. It's, it's this word. It's kalos. And kalos is a quality of winsomeness, um, which makes it lovely or beautiful. Or another way to say this is it's alluring. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In other words, I'm the shepherd who there's something attractive about the way I do this. There's something that draws people in. There's something that is winsome in what it is and does. And what John is trying to say is, listen, this is who Jesus is. He draws people in because there's something about his life that is alluring. There's something about the way he lives and loves that invites us in. This is who Jesus is. It becomes for us important because if we were to jump to verse 30, which we didn't look at, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. In fact, if I were to jump to chapter 14 of John's gospel as well, he, he says these things over and over again. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and the Father is in you, and I'm in you, and you're in me. In other words, if you know me, you're connected to me, and so I come back to this. So what does all that mean? Um, well, one, it means God's character is good. It's good. It's winsome. It's attractive. It's alluring. It also means that if I have decided to follow Jesus with my life, that my life is meant to be winsome, attractive, alluring. Is it? If someone were to categorize your life where they say, oh, it's winsome, it's alluring, it's attractive, like I want to be a part of that, even when they're going through difficult days or great days, it doesn't matter, there's something winsome about their life. A lot of people go, oh, that person's so cranky mean and sometimes you're convicted right I, I, I mean I wasn't going to share this but I will so this yesterday I just finished a book I was listening to an audio book running and then it got done I was about halfway through the run and so I switched to a sports talk podcast uh, midway through and um, about the time I switched about a minute later I was running on the road and a car almost hit me um, that's not the big deal um, I just yelled, I go, pay attention, idiot, under my breath. Like, the pay attention part was good. The you idiot part, not so good. Nothing about that's good. Now, pay attention because there were kids on the road, and so, yeah, that's probably fair. And I was way off the side, like, there's no, it's turning, not paying attention. But are we living a life that's good? Are we good? I mean, there are lots of things in life that are alluring. They draw us in, right? If you were to read some of Homer's stuff, Iliad and the Odyssey, like there's stuff that's alluring in fiction, right? But there's also stuff that's alluring in life. Money, sex, 
power, politics, stuff, being right, all those things, control, they're all alluring. But it doesn't mean they're good. Alluring things don't mean they're good in the way we think of good. But there is something alluring about sacrificial love. That kind of allure is about the other more than it's about the self. Are you and I living in such a way that sacrificial love is evident in our lives? Are you and I living life that are kalos? Winsome, beautiful, attractive, alluring. Or are we living like the not good life, the ungood, the ugly, the unattractive? I'm not talking about your physical appearance. I'm talking about the essence of who you are. Who are you and I? How are we living? And how can you and I live as good? What does good look like? So I was thinking about this week. I went and visited Hazel, who's a part of our church. Hazel is 92 or 3. I'm drawing a blank on that, so... 94, I'm not even close. She's had birthdays, right? Um, no, she turns 95 in a couple days. By the way, if you want to send her a letter, we have her address. We can get that out to you. So I went and saw Hazel and um, was talking with Hazel and sitting in her daughter's living room. And, <clears throat> and we're just talking. And um, she's got all kinds of things to say. It was cracking me up. But one of the things that she said was... <clears throat> Sorry, she kept referencing people reaching out to her from church that she knew. Oh, well, Pat, and oh, and this, and oh, and, and I'm a little disappointed in so-and-so because I've heard about some of their behavior and, and, and this, and I mean, she had everything to say. It was great. I won't repeat it all because it's not fair, right? Um, she can't defend herself here. But what was good in our conversation was her talking about the way she was in relationship with people. But people had reached out to her and cared for her, and even though she wasn't present here, she knew she was still a part. When I left there, I thought, this is what's good about a unique community of faith, is when people invest in one another in relationship. And I've also talked to other people who've said, oh, no one's reached out to me. They've not reached out at all. And I've asked the question then sometimes, well, have you, have you built a relationship? Have you talked to anyone yourself? Well, no, they're supposed to reach out to me. Well, you're them. We're in this together. Now, I'm not saying that you can do it, but goodness says I'm going to keep reaching out to people even if they don't reach out to me. That's what goodness looks like. It says I care about the other. It's sacrificial. It is loving. It is kind. And so this week I um, finished a book for a, a group I'm in that was supposed to be meeting on Tuesday, and it was probably fitting that this was the text for this week. The book's called a church called Tov. Tov is the Hebrew word for good. Right, and so where is it used in the Bible? Like in the beginning, it says God created this and this and this. And every time we create something, we say, it's good. And God rested, and it's good. And God describes his people when they're in the right relationship with him as tov, good. Again and again, this word is used to describe what good looks like. And so I was listening to this book this week, and um, this story I thought was, was fitting as we thought, what's it look like to be a good What's it look like to be a people who listen to Jesus' voice in the world in which we live so that when we encounter other people, we, we're good? Instead of going, well, I'm pretty good, I'm kind of good. Like, no, we go, no, I'm good because of the work Jesus continues to do in my life and because his voice is a voice I'm listening to above all the others. And I'm trying to follow the good shepherd. And he called me to be like him. That's why if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, one of the things we can't say 
we are living in ways that are counter to Jesus. Well, I'm not Jesus. It's actually not an excuse. <laughs> it's true. You're not, and neither am I. But it doesn't mean that we're not called to live like him. And so this is the story from Scott McKnight. It says, during the writing of this book, yet another horrific story of gun violence hit the news when a lone gunman shot and killed 22 people at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. Among the victims was Margie Record, a 63-year-old woman who was shopping for groceries as she did every Saturday. Margie and her husband, Antonio Basco, had no relatives and few friends in El Paso area. Margie's children from a previous marriage lived elsewhere. Alone and heartbroken, Basco brought flowers each day to a makeshift memorial outside the store. And he spent long hours there, often from morning until dark. Sometimes he returned at night and slept on the ground next to the memorial. Photographs showed Basco's obvious distress as he slumped weeping at the loss of his wife, total anguish on his face. Basco told Salvador Purchase, the funeral director, about his fears his fear that he was now alone. His fear about not having a family because Margie was all he had. His fear that nobody would attend his wife's funeral. When Purchase shared a message on Facebook along with a photo of Basco at Margie's memorial site, it soon went viral. The message read, Mr. Antonio Basco was married for 22 years to his wife, Margie Record. He had no other family. He welcomes anyone to attend his wife's services. Let's show him and his wife some El Paso love. Empathy went viral, and compassion followed it. Tove blanketed El Paso. On the day of the visitation, more than 3,000 people showed up, some waiting hours to envelop Antonio Basco in hugs, share heartfelt condolences, and bring him gifts. At Margie's funeral, the last of the 22 victims' funerals, Basco entered a venue packed with 400 supporters. 700 more people waited outside in the Texas heat to express their condolences to the grieving husband. The line wrapping around the block for half a mile. Neighbors set up food and water stations for those waiting in line. One supporter flew in from San Francisco to attend the funeral of a woman she had never met and to support a widower she had never seen. Another woman drove six hours and then waited an additional two hours to tell Basco, whom she had never met, that she loved him and that he wasn't alone. El Paso resident Victor Perales said that he and his wife came to the funeral to give Basco a hug and let him know we can be his family. There were hundreds just like them. More than 900 flower arrangements and 10,000 condolences messages arrived from as far away as New Zealand, Norway, and Japan. And a GoFundMe campaign organized by journalist, journalist Carlos Armendarez, who took photos of Basco at the memorial site that went viral, raised more than 41,000 from 1,400 donors. Basco said he had never felt so much love in his entire life. So many people put their arms around me, grieved with me, cried with me. It touched my heart, he said at the cemetery. I love you, and I'm proud, and I'm honored to have you all here as my family. The mark of empathy is to feel another's pain. The mark of compassion is having the desire to alleviate or reduce the suffering of another and to do something about it. 
The community of El Paso saw Antonio Basco's pain. They saw his suffering. They saw him standing alone and moved to comfort him and be with him. That's toe. That's good. We know good when we see it. We know when something's good and it's right and it's beautiful. We also know when we've been shaped by things, if we're honest, aren't that right or beautiful? The question Jesus is asking is, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Do we know him? Are we willing to step back from what shapes us and really reevaluate our life? Say, ah, I want to be good. And so I want to say this today, if you have accepted Jesus as Lord and you're doing your best to follow him, then you are good. Right? Um, Jesus is good and does good. We sometimes think about greatness and we pursue greatness at the cost of good. And I'm someone who can be guilty, man. I, achievement matters to me and chasing after things matters to me and being better matters to me, but sometimes at the cost of goodness. And then it's not good. And really, it's not even probably great. But what would it look like if we recognize Jesus is good, we are called to do good and be good. We're called to do good and be good. Why? Because Jesus is the good shepherd. Goodness listens. I'll say that again because I, I might need to hear this too. Goodness listens. Goodness has an open mind and open ears, and can still have convictions. Goodness is humble. Goodness is willing to listen and learn from people and places that we might not thought we'd ever learned anything from or people we would normally listened to. Goodness loves others. Goodness sees others as God sees them. Sheep that he loves. People that matter. People created in the image of God. All people from all places and all walks of life. We can become good when the voice that most shapes us is Jesus. We can become good when the voice that's most shaping in our life is that of Jesus. And anything less than that, don't be shocked when we're really not that good. We're probably not even that nice or kind or generous. We're probably counter good, alluring things. Right? If you are a follower of Jesus, you're called to live a good life. And not the way we often define a good life. But as we follow Jesus, we'll find if we'll listen to his voice above all the other voices of this world, we'll find that we live a uniquely different life and we'll find that we are more fulfilled than in any way we would have ever known. By giving away our life, we'll find that we find life and in that we'll find hope and a reason for living and something worth living for and ultimately even dying for. See, I believe at the end of the day, what will make our world a better place, it's not who is or isn't elected or what post I put on social media, but it's going to be whether we live after Jesus. Whether his voice shapes our lives. And the more I live and invite others into that unique way of living, 
the more I live and model that, the more the world is a better place. So what might happen if we begin to do that? Right? I, I don't know for some of us whether, like, sometimes cognitively I need to believe something before I can do it. Other times I need to do something so I can then believe it. I don't know which one you are because everybody's a little different. Some of us need to make, like, cognitive decisions where I'm going to live this way and then you'll begin to do it because you believe it. Other times we'll, we'll act into new ways of living, right? Well, well here's what I mean by that. Um, some of us know that, as Scott wrote in the book, that we'll have empathy for someone, but if our empathy stays as just I feel for them, empathy's not that valuable. We then have compassion and we follow through on our empathy. The other side of that is true, like doing the thing for someone like because it's compassionate and yet not feeling for them, also not good. It's about us then, it's not about them. So I would say it this way, I don't know whether we need to, we can think our way into new ways of living and we can live our way into new ways of thinking. I'll say that again. We can think our way into new ways of living, and we can live our way into new ways of thinking. Which it is for you, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which one you, you need. But I'll say this today. What I think Jesus wants us to hear in this text is I'm the good shepherd. I love you. I died for you. You matter to me. I will keep coming after you when you keep dumping in that, jumping in that same stupid hole again and again. I will keep reaching and pulling you out if you let me. I'd also love you to not keep running into the same hole and live differently and be the sheep who follows me. So here's what I think Jesus desperately desires for his people. If you call him Lord, if you're not sure, hey, this isn't for you. Like, I get it. Like, you can just hang out and listen and hear where the church should be and go, see, you're not being who you're supposed to be. Fair. But here's who the church is called to be, who its people are called to be. We're called to be good, do good. Be good, do good. Pray with me. Father, we come before you this, this morning, and um, we ask that you would help us to be the unique people of God you're calling us to be, and we know that sometimes it's really easy to say the right thing and not do the right thing, and sometimes it's easy to do the right thing and not feel the right thing, and so we ask that you would help shape us in new ways. We know in these days we don't know what tomorrow holds or even really what today holds, but help us to be good as you're good. Help us to recognize that who we see in your son Jesus is who you are. And help us not to try to twist that in ways that shape it differently, but help us to look like him over and over again in our lives and help us to confess the moments that we don't. May you remake us into your image. Image of love and hope and mercy and peace. And may goodness flow from who we are. And may goodness define us. May our church be known as good. May there be something about our lives that's careless, it's winsome, it's alluring, it's attractive. And so, Father, we ask that you might help us become that more and more today. I pray all this in your son Jesus' name.